Go thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of Bible News Radio. Yeah, it is. Hey, you know what? Don't you love that music? Doesn't it make you want to dance, like, in an extravagant type way, huh? Yeah, you'll understand why I said that in a minute. Because of this book, people. Check this out. Extravagant, Discovering a Life of Dangerous Generosity by Pastor Brady Boyd. Yeah, it is. Tonight... Yours truly gets the honor and the privilege of interviewing this extravagant man about his book, Extravagant. Yeah, the best intro ever, huh? So far. Anyway, hey, uh, do me a favor if you're watching this live, which obviously most of you are, because if you were dead, you totally wouldn't be watching this, but um, <laughs> if you're live streaming with us, do me a favor and uh, share this out on whatever platform you're on. If you're on YouTube, make sure you hit like and then share. If you're on Periscope, link to Twitter, make sure you share it out there too, okay? And then like leave a comment in my chat room so I can see that you're there. If you're on Facebook, say hi, be nice people, and make sure that you click the heart thingy. That means you love us, okay? Do that, become obsessive compulsive with the clicker thingy. And Twitch, of course, if you're on Twitch, then you've stopped playing whatever game it is that you normally play over there. And I'm glad you're here. Yeah, I am. Because tonight what you're going to do is you're going to learn about the dangerous life of being generous. Yeah, you are. And uh, it will it will change your life. Yeah, it will. Uh, so, <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about my guest. I'm super excited to introduce to you. I love this music. I think he should have this when he comes out to preach. Everybody... Okay, anyway, Pastor Brady Boyd, he has served as the senior pastor of New Life Church. Yeah, he has. For over a decade. Mm-hmm. And you know what? New Life Church has grown to six campuses, and its unique team teaching method has become a model for churches around the world. Yeah, it has. He's the co-host of the Essential Church podcast, and he hosts lots of conferences, which would mean he's also a conference host. And speaker. Yeah, he is. Let's see here. Like New Life Conference, the Desperation Conference, and the Gathering. <laughs> and he lives in Colorado Springs with his wife, Pam, and their two kids, also known as children. And he has some cats. I found that out earlier. Bet you didn't know that, huh? Yeah, right here on this show. That was... Ex- I just exposed that. Anyway, he is our guest right now. And um, for the next half hour, give or take, depending on how long-winded we can both be. Um, so, hey, Pastor Boyd, thanks for coming on the show. Glad you're here. Hey, good to be with you, Stacy. I like the music, too. And uh, if we uh, told, I told you a moment ago that I had two cats, and they're, one is named Mikey, and one is named Tiger. Now, if you are an SEC football fan, you know that the LSU mascot, the live tiger that is on the campus there, is called Mike the Tiger. Therefore, our two cats, one is named Mike and the other is named Tiger because we're big LSU fans. So nice. anyway, 
we're not having a great year this year, but last year was pretty special. <sighs> well, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe you should pray more. Yes, I do. <laughs> Good to would... be, what, who, who do you root for? Who's your team? Like, like football? Yeah, who do you root for in football? Who do I root for in football? I like the Steelers. Well, you're having a good year then. Guess They're so. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you know, I'm more of a baseball fan. I really like the Yankees, which, okay. which a lot of people hate. But, you know, I grew up in Southern California, really close to Angel Stadium, and all the Yankees and the Angels people were there. You know, even my pastor there, my former pastor in California, the year that the Yankees were like in the World Series and the Angels were kind of contending and stuff, you know, he had the nerve to wear an Angels hat and mock the Yankees. And I was like, seriously? And I tried to get a Yankees hat. You know how hard that is in California to get a Yankees hat? So I left. I left California, came here to Tennessee. And one of the first things that I noticed was all these people wearing Yankees hats. Yeah. So I feel... <clears throat> I feel better now that I'm here on the East Coast, away from the yeah. left coast. Yeah. But anyway, you're in California. You're in Col you're in Colorado. <laughs> so so for people who may not know who you are, and I know that's a shock, somebody might not. <laughs> well, can you give them a little bit more about your background? Well, I've, I've been at New Life Church for 13 years, um, okay. and we are right here across the street from the Air Force Academy, uh, right across the street from Pikes Peak. Uh, it's a great church. We have uh, seven different congregations that speak three different languages all over town. Wow. Uh, it's just a beautiful congregation. I'm the second pastor in the 35-year history of the church. Uh, before I came to uh, New Life, I was on staff with Robert Morris at Gateway Church in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, there for about seven years, and I've been here for about 13. And I've been married to the same woman for 31 years, and we still like each other. I have two grown kids. Uh, they are, this is our first year of being an empty nester. Uh, but in fact, just before I came on tonight, they will both walk back into the house because they come home on the weekends from college. So uh, they're great. 22-year-old son, 20-year-old uh, daughter. Uh, they're just amazing kids, and I love them. And we just, you know, we're like every other family. We're pretty boring. I mean, quite honestly, but we, we, like, we like hanging out with each other. <laughs> So boring families hang out together. Yeah, you know, in other words, no drama, no unnecessary drama here. We get along good. We hang out. We have great conversations. And yeah, it's cool. just a good life here for us. We love Colorado. I mean, Colorado is just hard to beat. It's like living in Tennessee. You know, God, uh -huh. God has a home in Tennessee and one in Colorado, and then he visits everywhere else. And let's be honest, right? Yep. Well, I think Tennessee is nicer than Colorado, though, just so you know, as far as the landscape. I've been to both places. I actually own some property in Colorado. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's it's the desert land. the 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 Rock children line. The children of Israel could wander there for forty years and never get out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well. Anyway. <laughs> so that's good. Hey, and congratulations on being married so long. Honestly, that's an achievement, and I'm proud of you. That's great. Well. It's for Pam. She's uh, she gets uh, special merits in heaven for putting up with me for 31 years. But she's she's a sweetheart. So she's a Louisiana girl, and we both were born and raised in Louisiana. And uh, she's a sweetheart. Nice. So, and you're the senior pastor of this church, so that's commendable too. You know. So, what's it like to uh, to stand and be a big shepherd to all your little sheep everywhere? I don't I don't ever think about it like that. I, I, I think uh, I love my church. Our church has a special 
place uh, in my heart because as the church has gone through just a couple of really epic crises. And, uh, and because of that, uh, we've been bonded together in a special way. We have a, just a special bond between pastor and congregation at New Life. And the, uh, the worship music that comes out of our church is just world-class. Uh, are the prayers that we're known for being a praying church and a worshiping church. And quite honestly, it's just a lot of fun to be the pastor at New Life. The, the people there are just remarkable people, uh, extravagant people. Um, and I really enjoy them. I mean, that it's, uh, it's been a hard season like everyone else this last eight or nine months uh, with everything that's happened, but our church is so resilient and I'm, I'm proud of them, quite honestly. Yeah, you know, it's gotta be hard. And, you know, just, I, I believe, you know, just so everybody knows, Ted Haggard was the pastor that you stepped in and you took, you took over when, when that struggle took place. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, I mean, things happen. That's what being human's all about, right, people? So, and it's it's interesting because I have to tell you honestly that we need to see the success of something like that. You know what I mean? You coming yeah. in, that had to be really hard for you because of the shadow that, you're. I mean, you're in, right? And yet here God, all these years later, has blessed you and the congregation and the church is healed and there's all that love and stuff going on and all the extravagance and stuff has happened and and this book is out there you know blessing the world um with your faithfulness and stuff so you know you you should be commended and given a big hug just so you yeah. know <laughs> so here you go from me to you thank you i've received that i'm i'm a hugger so thank you for that i appreciate those kind words and you know, we uh we we, we churches i I believe church is one of the most resilient organizations on the earth <clears throat> when properly led, when spiritually formed, when prayerfully guided, uh, the church, the, the gates of the, Jesus said the gates of hell would not overcome the church. And he's, uh, that's not a, a literal or figurative thing to me. It's real to me because I've watched the gates of hell, uh, come against our church and we, the Lord by his grace has helped us to overcome. And it's the reason I get to write a book about generosity, because I have seen generosity spill out of our church in spite of having every reason not to be generous. And uh, that's what really compelled me to write the book, because we should be hunkered down, trying to, you know, in survival mode. In fact, our church probably should be a big used car lot right now. But instead, I challenged our church about five or six years ago that if we would focus on the cries of the poor in our city. I, I told our church, if we will focus on the cries of the poor in our city, I am convinced because Proverbs 19 says, 1917 says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord right. and he will pay him. And I, I have, I've anchored myself on that scripture. And so to our church's credit, we had $26 million of debt. Now let's think about that. Uh, the mortgage payment was $185,000 a month. And so we, we, had, we were really handcuffed uh, we couldn't go do outreach in our city. We couldn't go bless the nations of the world when we have to spend $185,000 a month on a mortgage payment on a giant building. So I, I just challenged our church. I said, listen, if we will begin to meet the cries of the poor, if we will listen to what God's saying about the poor in our city, and if we will step up and do something extravagant for the poor in our city, I believe we will be debt-free and we will get out of this bondage of debt. So that was about six years ago. No, take that back. That was 2011, so it was nine years ago. Now we have we have ten million dollars of debt. We paid off sixteen million dollars of debt, and we have opened numerous dream centers around our city, and they're all debt free. 
And I have, so I have watched the Lord uh, be extravagant to our church. And that's why I can, with great confidence, write a book and use the word extravagant in its title, because I have seen God be extravagantly generous to our church. I just, I'm just convinced that God is an extravagant God. Yeah, he is. Well, and not only that, but, you know, in the book of James, it talks about um, blessing the poor, you know, and, and caring about the poor. And you, in the, in the book of James, you also see the contrast between how you show how, you know, when James was writing to that church, you know, he was saying to the rich, you know, you guys give favoritism to the rich, you ignore the poor, even though the poor are rich in faith, the rich are going to take you to court. <laughs> and there's one suing you and stuff. Um, and it, and it's, it's interesting because that whole book, I just read it this morning. That's why it's so fresh. It's not that I'm smart or anything, but, but that whole contrast between man's wisdom, and God's wisdom is taken out there. And, you know, we think we're all so smart that we're going to do this, this, and this, and we ignore the poor. And yet the blessing there, it's huge, you know, it's well, not, James, that's pretty James, cool. Like 35 years ago, when I really got serious about following the, the Lord, James 127 was the first verse I ever memorized. You know, pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to take care of the widow and the orphan in their distress and keep your own heart unspotted from the world. And so that was that has been an anchor passage of scripture for my wife and I uh, for all of our years of marriage. And it is true. James was the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the Church of Jerusalem. He 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 was uh he understood Jesus pretty well. I mean, kind of grew up with him, wrestled with him, and went on long walks with him. I mean, Jesus, he knew James knew Jesus longer than any of the 12 disciples. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and he, well, yeah, I'm thinking of somebody else, but anyway, <laughs> back to you. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, one of the stories you told me you want to talk about is the story of Jenny. Tell us that yeah. story. You can make it as long as you want. Well, it, I, I, I promise you this is a story worth listening to. This is, a, in fact, I based a lot of the book on this story. Jenny was a, a pregnant, and she was uh, living hundreds of miles away from Colorado Springs. I can't tell you the location, and Jenny is not her real name. And the reason I can't tell you her location and her real name is because her abusive boyfriend is still looking for her as of today. But she was basically, when he would go to work at, uh, in the mornings, he would lock her in a closet and leave her there all day long. Even, even though she was pregnant. But she realized that if she gave birth to that child, that that child had, uh, could be harmed by this guy, even though he was the father. So she got the baseboards loose in her closet and somehow broke the door open. And when she came out of the door, she grabbed a set of car keys and all she had was a clothes on her back, a few dollars in her pocket. She got out in her car and just drove, just trying to get away from this guy. And she tells, when she tells me this story, she said, God spoke to her to come to Colorado Springs. So she's hundreds of miles away. It's gonna take her several days to drive to Colorado Springs. She's pregnant, no money. So she said several different times, she would stop at a gas station with her tank on empty. And sometimes it was a man, sometimes it was a woman. She would just stand outside of her car, just stand there and she would pray, Lord, I need gas and I need money. And people would walk up to her and say, honey, can I help you or are you okay? And they would give her a full tank of gas, go inside. Many times they would go inside and give her a bag of groceries. And that's how she made it to Colorado Springs. So when she gets here, she had just enough money to rent a storage unit. So she would pull her car 
into the storage unit at night and shut the door and sleep inside her car. But she discovered that the dumpsters around the storage unit, there was a lot of really decent furniture that people were throwing away from the storage units. So she went dumpster diving every day and she taught herself how to refurbish furniture. And then she would, so she would refurbish old furniture, take pictures of it and go to the local public library and use their computers and put it on Craigslist. And she, she made enough money to survive until it was time to give birth to her baby. So when she goes into labor, she drives to the hospital emergency room and she knows that they're going to ask her a lot of questions. They're required to ask her a lot of questions about where are you living? Do you have a job? Can you take care of the child? And she knew that if she told them she was living in a storage unit, that she was basically homeless, that she might lose the baby for a season. She's sobbing. She's out of control. She's in labor. She has no one there. She's by herself in the hospital waiting room and in the delivery room. And one of the nurses that was caring for her attends my church and knew about Mary's home that we had just opened. Now, Mary's home is an apartment complex. We now own three of them, about to own three of them. And the first one we bought, this is where moms can come off the streets with their kids and live for one to three years. So this nurse knew about it and calls us and says, do you have any openings? Normally, we have a long waiting list. And to, to our surprise, we had a room available for this, this mom. Her name is Jenny. So Jenny shows up at Mary's home with her newborn baby. She lives there for a year and a half, just excels in all the programs that we offer, graduates in a year and a half. She came back and spoke to our graduating class last year. And I love this. She said, last year, I made $60,000. I'm not on any government assistance. I'm volunteering at my church. My child is thriving. And the reason I'm alive today is because of the extravagant acts of generosity from a large group of people who saw something in me that I did not even see in myself. And the word extravagant, uh, I know people, when they hear the title of the book, is, is this another middle-aged megachurch pastor talking about giving to get something from God? That's not what this mm -hmm. book is about. This is about doing something so extravagant that it has the ability to change other people's lives. And what I love about the story of Jenny is that there are no, there's not a singular hero of the story. There's many people that got involved with her, from the nurse that just listened to her, to the people who bought her gas, to people who bought her furniture online. I'm sure there were people buying that furniture online. They didn't know why that the Holy Spirit was compelling them to buy her furniture on Craigslist. But there are just so many of those little nuances in her story that point to God really being interested in this abused mom, so much so that he sends an army of people around her to rescue her. Yeah, that is so cool. Well, and you know what? Um, I think that we need more stories like that. And actually, everybody, look, you know you know that I won't put anybody on this show because I don't have to put anybody on this show unless I want to because I'm the boss of this show, just so you know. <laughs> boss woman, hear me roar. No, just kidding. Uh, but here's the book, and I want to tell you that this is a very practical book. It, You know, Pastor Boyd lays out um, how to do things very specifically, you know, like get out of debt, things like that, you know, being on a budget. That's one of the things, um, that he talks about. Yeah. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about being on a budget. Cause you know, that B word, we're like, Ugh, we don't want to, we don't want to do it. Talk about that. Well, Cause that's, that's like, you know, a lot of times pastors get bagged on if they ask for money, but if you actually teach on money and how to get people out of debt, then, you know, that's different. 
Well, I think it might be the most important chapter of the book. It's called, and the chat title of the chapter is "The Beauty of a Boring Budget," uh-huh. and it's my alliteration for a reason. But the if you look at it, if you think of a budget as restriction on your spending, then you'll never follow it. But what a budget does is it gives you an invitation on how to spend correctly. If you see it more of as an invitation and a guide, then uh, then budgets become empowering to you. And Pam and I uh, always wanted to be generous when we first got married, but we did not know how to live below our means. We didn't know how to save money. Mm-hmm. And we depended on credit cards and got into debt early in our marriage. And, it, and I remember back in those days, we saw so many opportunities to give, but we didn't have the money and because we had not budgeted uh, money to have. And, and so I, I think it's important that uh, parents, a lot of parents don't know how to teach their kids about money. I'll, I'll tell this story. My, my kids don't mind me telling you this, but they're 18 and I mean, they're 20 and 22 now. And so last year I helped them fill out their taxes for the very first time. They both have a little part-time jobs and they qualified to uh, turn in a tax return last year. And both of my, when I filled out their, helped them fill out their tax returns, I realized that both of my kids without any, you know, noodling from me had tithes to the church last year. And I was so grateful. It was one of the most moving moments that I realized my kids have caught it. They've caught it early. They've learned to live at 80%, 70% of what they make. Now they do have a dad that has a safety net. I'm a safety net for them, but still without me, not out of compulsion, but out of joy, they've learned to give their first and best. And it was such a moving moment for me with my kids that I, I didn't have to, you know, ask them every two weeks if they had sent their check in, they were doing it on their own. And, and I, now I have hope for my kids at some point to come off my dole. I think I said, I told Pam, we're not going to have to support our kids as long as we think, because mm-hmm. they're going to be able, they're going to be able to fly. They're going to be able to launch quicker than, than a lot of kids because they've learned to live with a budget and so proud of them. And it's just such simple stuff, but there are people in their thirties, forties, and fifties that haven't learned the art of budgeting. And I hope this chapter, when you read it, I hope people don't, because I didn't write it with condemnation in mind. I wrote it trying to be an encouraging, equipping pastor. So when you read it, don't feel bad if you haven't gotten it right yet, because the good news is with your money, you can start getting it right today. And a year from now, you can have real dividends. You can have some, make some real progress in a year if you'll just follow that budget for one year. Mm -hmm. It's true. You know, many years ago, I live in Dave Ramsey land. Don't tell anybody. Actually, (laughs) Actually, I have to tell you, when we moved here, I felt like I moved into the cult of Dave Ramsey, the world of Dave Ramsey, because, you know, I didn't, you know, anyway, I'll just tell a quick Dave Ramsey story. Um, Because in California, um, you know, my husband and I, we've lived the same way, you know, always tithe, you know, live below our means, all that stuff. God's always provided. and, And one of the things I'll never forget, two little stories. One was that we decided to go through the Financial Peace University and we were leasing cars because we had we had somebody tell us that when you get married, the woman should have the best car and the best car should always be a leased car and get rid of them and get a new one every whatever. And so for the first, I don't even know, we've been married close to 30 years, but I'd say, I don't know, 10 years of our marriage at least. Um, yeah, probably close to that. That's what we did. Randall had his beat up old truck and I would take the new leased car every year because, you know. I'm the woman. Hear me roar. Uh, but then we went through this thing, and and I remember Dave going, you know, you know, you're an idiot if you buy a brand new car. Not that he would say it that way, but he probably would. <laughs> and and he said, find the car that you want, and then save for it. 
And so we had gone up to Monterey Bay on our third anniversary. We had rented a, a Chrysler Sebring. And I just remember, man, this car is awesome. So I thought, that's what I want to get. I want to get a Sebring. And so uh, I found one for $12,000. It had 12,000 miles on it. And because we lived on only my husband's income and we chucked mine away, I had that 12 grand and I went out and I bought that car cash cold. I still own the car. It has just under 50,000 miles all these years later because I don't drive a lot, clearly. Um, but the car runs great and it's been paid for for, what, 16 years now that I've owned it, right? And I don't feel a need to, although, to be honest, I kind of, 14 years, okay, 14 years. I don't feel a need, though, to... Uh, to, to buy a new car every year, right? But then here's the other thing with Ramsey's method of chucking stuff aside and putting it in envelopes and all that other stuff. Do you, does Circuit City exist in Colorado? Uh, no. Did they go out of business? I think they might have went out of business. But anyway, many years ago, I heard him talk about how you should put money aside in envelopes and, you know, and then pay down the debt and all that and then pick it, pick what you want. So we listed like, like I wanted a camcorder because back in the day, you know, the big shoulder camcorder, that was like what I wanted. And, and, but it was like a thousand bucks for a camcorder, right? One that you could get now for like 200 probably. And, um, anyway, we, what we did was we did that envelope thing and, when I had enough money to buy the camcorder, I remember going into Circuit City and uh, the guys like, what would you, what would you like? I said, that camcorder. And he's like, cash or credit? And I said, hard, cold cash. I got right here in this envelope. I pull out this envelope and I had like a thousand bucks in cash. And and it was a kid. He was about 20 or whatever. He's like, I can't believe you have cash. I said, yeah, and let me tell you something. I have cash, and I also, just so you know, I want a stand, and I want a bag for this as well because I'm paying for cash. I'm paying with cash. And he's like, we can do that. And and I just remember going, this is so cool, man. I could have gotten, you know, it would have cost me more, first of all. But, but I just remember how empowered I felt, like, to, to hand over all that cash and, and it was a lesson to the kid that was selling it to me. And, and I should say kid because I was a kid at the time, too. I'm in my 50s now. But, but, um, but yeah, and, and that was being on a budget, right? And I had that freedom. And I remember going home, and it impacted me so much. I remember going home thinking, I have a brand-new camcorder. I got some extras, and I don't have a bill I got to pay here. Mm. That's freedom. It is freedom. And it, and it also is freedom now that you can give. So there's, yeah. there are opportunities that are going to appear before you and your husband that, and you're going to feel this prompting to be generous. And because you were disciplined enough to delay your gratification and set aside some monies, and this is, uh, the book is written on Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right. And one of the things I love about that story is that when he saw the guy in the ditch, he had money available to help the guy. He had some yeah. extra coin. So he takes him to the local Hilton Inn down the street, pays the innkeeper in advance and says, I'll come back tomorrow with even more money if this guy needs it, but I want him to be fully recovered and get all the medical care he needs. He was well able to do so, that extravagant act of generosity because he had time. He was willing to be interrupted, which I talk about in the book. He was willing to be inconvenienced and he was willing to invest. He had money available and that's the life that uh, I'm, I'm calling people in my church 
I'm calling myself, quite honestly, to get back into that kind of life. I, I felt like even as I was writing the book, I, uh, I realized from myself that I, it's easy to get into the habit of living a convenient life, an uninterrupted life, a very sheltered, safe life. Mm-hmm. But generosity is going to require us to take some risk. And that's why the, the tagline is discovering a life of dangerous generosity. Because this Samaritan and the Jew, they didn't like each other. They were they were sworn enemies. This was like MAGA people and Antifa people helping each other out of the ditch right now. If 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 this is exactly how uh, angry and divided and uh, this group would have been, but Samaritans and the Jews. So for the Samaritan guy to go into the ditch and cross over those very difficult ethnic and religious uh, boundaries. It was dangerous. It, he was taking a tremendous risk helping a sworn enemy. And I th- can you imagine Jesus telling a story to the Jewish crowd? Because he was talking to Jewish people when he tells the story, and the hero of the story is a Samaritan. It's like being at a, a MAGA rally and saying, hey, by the way, the hero of our country today is an Antifa guy. It's like, can you imagine the booze that you would get at the MAGA rally, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what, but Jesus was using that to get their attention, to jar their imagination a bit. And, and it worked. And it still mm-hmm. works today. Well, not only that, but in, as you know, in that story, the people who didn't do anything were the religious folk. And it's their brother. It, right. it may have very well been a guy you go to church with. And, and yet they didn't want to be interrupted. Right. And they didn't want to be inconvenienced. And they just moved on. Somebody, you know, it's easy for all of us to say someone else can help. Especially for problems that seem overwhelming. Uh, I have been asked this. I mean, I want to clarify this too, Stacy. That I'm not saying that you should give money to everybody that's sitting on a street corner because uh, the 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 local director for our Springs Rescue Mission, which most cities of any size have rescue missions, mm-hmm. and he says instead of giving that money to the guy on the street corner, take that same money and bring it down here and, and let us use it to get these guys into programs that will actually help them get out of homelessness. Oftentimes, given the five bucks out the window uh, to a guy on the, with, with a sign is only prolonging his journey of homelessness. Uh, of course, I'm not telling you that if the Holy Spirit speaks to you not to do it, because in the case of Jenny, somebody walked up to her at a gas station and gave her money. It was the very thing that saved her life. So I do know that there are, uh, just use wisdom, you know, use, be discerning about this. Uh, but never, ever say no to the Holy Spirit. But, just, but don't do anything out of guilt or compulsion. Right. Well, because if you do it out of that, then it's not really being, you know, it's not really an act of love because you're, you know, you're being forced to do it. So in the time that we live in today, I know that, okay, so so 2020, <laughs> the year that keeps giving. <laughs> You got you got to love 2020. You know, who would have thought, right? <laughs> this is this would have been the year. It's and you know, it's interesting cuz it's been a difficult year. Uh well, it's been a difficult year for a lot of people. Um I'm not a person that watches the news, so I don't get so I'm pretty joyful cuz I ignore it all. Um I mean, I know it's going on cuz I talk about it, but I have to tell you something. Um I think community is a a big deal. And I'm going to tell you something very important that's recently happened, and maybe it's something you might want to consider at your church if you're not already doing it. So earlier today, I interviewed a woman who came out of a church where one of the leaders in that church started a thing called God Time Together. And so what God Time Together is, is every time, uh, well, like for me, uh, a friend of mine 
decided that they were going to do this God time together thing where we get up really early in the morning and at 7.15, 7.30, we're all on Zoom. Anybody who wanted to come in and do Bible reading accountability together could join this this Zoom. We had about 12 people show up and for almost 90 days now, every day, we're meeting for about 45 minutes where we get on, we talk about where we're going to read in the Bible. Like for me, it was in James this morning. Uh, and then we go dark for about half hour or whatever. And then after that, we come back and we start talking about, you know, what we saw. Nobody's teaching, right? We're allowing Jesus to teach us the Holy Spirit. And through that time, Pastor Boyd, what I can tell you is that the Holy Spirit has moved. There's been deeper healing in my life. There's been healing in other people's life. There's been encouragement. And what I realized is that that community that in the book of Acts, where it says that, that we, uh, you know, they met daily and they were meeting one another's needs. The church today doesn't really do that. Um, I mean, we, we go to church and we do the good things, but that intimate community communion with Christ and his body on a level like that has not only increased my generosity and spirit, but also just made me more passionate about Jesus Christ and who he is and trying to get that word out. So I want to invite you and your church to start doing God time together with me. If you ever want to come and be with me on my Zoom, you can do that. But I also uh, think that it's a great way to find out really what the needs are so that we can be more generous towards one another uh, during this COVID time because a lot of pastors are hurting because you can't win. You know, because of all the stupid governmental rules with all this stuff going on, even though there's legit stuff, um, you know, and all that. So there you go. That's great. I, uh, generosity and hospitality are close cousins. You can't have one without the other. If you're not going to, you'll never be hospitable if you're not generous. And you'll never be generous if you don't know people and live in hospital and invite people into your home and invite people into your Zoom meetings. And so I think generosity and hospitality, quite honestly, are the only ways that we're going to heal the divide in our in our country. Uh, the the American church has got to rediscover the very thing that you just described, Stacey, generosity, hospitality, praying together. I mean, this is blocking and tackling. This is Christianity 101, but for mm-hmm. some reason, we've drifted away from blocking and tackling. We wonder why we're not seeing the kingdom of heaven come. And I think it's because we've lost our, our call, our mandate to love our neighbors, ourselves. And that's only done when you're generous and when you're hospitable. Love that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. It's it's just so cool. You know, God's yeah. word is awesome. People just have to be in God's word, you know. So, um, uh, well, I know we said we go half hour. We're technically over, which is not unusual because, you know, you like to talk. I like to talk. We're talkers, you know. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with people like your website, newlifechurch.org or anything else? Well, I appreciate the time, and I've, you're such a joy to be around. And I hope I get to come back on your program at some point. But uh, the book is the book has the ability to change people's lives, their marriage, their home, their hearts. And you can buy it. Is that if you want to go to a, a real bookstore, Barnes and Nobles has it on their shelf, or you can go to BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, or NewLifeChurch.org. All those places have the book available. And I just I'd love to hear people's feedback. I, I one of the joys of writing a book is that it leads to conversations with people that I would never have met otherwise. So feel free to drop me a line, an email, uh, a comment on Amazon. I will respond and uh, love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Stacy, Merry Christmas to you and your husband and your cats and your family, everybody there. 
I appreciate that. And let's pray for you, okay? Because you're a man of honor, integrity, and influence. So let's, everybody, let's pray for the pastor because pastors need prayer, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Lord, much. I just want to say thank you for this pastor who you've given the ability to lead people to you and also influence them for good and generosity and, uh, and for Jesus. And Father, I just want to ask that you would bless him abundantly, bless all his staff, his family, his children. We ask that you would put a hedge of protection around the church. Uh, Father, for many evil influences that would want to come in there, and that you, Lord, would continue to prosper him spiritually and give him greater insight and wisdom regarding your word, um, and just, you know, help him just to continue to build the disciples that you've called him to do that. So thank you, Lord, for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, you stay there, and I'll say goodbye to everybody. Okay, hello, everybody. Yeah. Wasn't that great? Okay, so you guys look. If you want a very practical book with a nice book cover, this is it. Extravagant Discovering a Life of Dangerous. Dun, dun, dun. Generosity. Brady Boyd. Oh, and it says here, Senior Pastor of New Life Church, author of Remarkable. Oh, by the way, that's another book. It has a yellow cover on it. You should go read the reviews on Amazon and buy it too. Or wherever fine books are sold. Or China. Uh, anyway. And then read the back here. Okay. And, you know, what you could do, because it's December, you could buy you a copy, and then you could buy somebody else a copy as a Christmas present. Yeah, you could. And, or just like a secret Santa gift, but don't tell, just make sure Santa knows about Jesus. Okay, just saying. Um, or a Hanukkah present. Hanukkah's starting on the 10th. So you could get a Hanukkah gift, too. Yeah, you could. So uh, that's what I would encourage you to do. All right, everybody, and we'll be back tomorrow right here, same time. And remember, as I always say, be bold, stand up, people, and go with God because he loves you.